This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. Yo, what's up? It's your boy LA, aka the Love Ambassador, coming to you straight live and direct from the Jungle Studios. Okay, cool. Well, the last one I did was a bit of a tongue twister on the old history of communism. Quite frankly, yeah, you know, good, liked it, tough. Let's have a little bit of fun. Oh, yeah. So, I'm going to do the history of dildos. More importantly, the 30,000 year history of the dildo. You don't know what the dildo is. It's a fake cock that the ladies use to up the naughty bit. Uh, anyway, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. From the Stone Age to ancient Greece to the present, there's been one tool that nearly, <coughs> nearly every civilization has kept handy. The dildo is not a modern invention. Instead, it is an ancient tool that is believed to date back to the Stone Age. Archaeologists have attempted to conceive of non-sexual uses of the distinctly shaped objects of this period that they vaguely refer to as Ice Age batons. Could be an <coughs> interesting word. Excuse me, I'm getting out of the flu. However, scientific opinion is gradually shifting towards the idea that these objects were being used for sexual pleasure, probably because they're shaped like a cock. The changing opinion is due to the incredibly detailed nature of a few of the phalluses. For example, some of these objects have retracted or totally absent foreskin, piercings, tattoos, and scars. This, this specifically along with the life-size and smooth polished construction from siltstone, chalk, or antler bone leads scholars to believe that these ancient phalluses were used as dildos. Following the Stone Age, the ancient Greeks did not look to the outside world for sexual inspiration in terms of their artificial phalluses, but to the inside of the kitchen. Of course you would. One of the most notorious sexual practices is the usage of, I'm going to try and get this correct, forgive me, olisboko-likes, or dildos made entirely out of bread. It's like American pie all over again. Bread begets essentially Instead of bread dildos, images of bread dildos have been recorded in a range of sources, although it's vague on whether they were used for ritualistic purposes or everyday pleasure. So the ancient Greeks were into baguette dildos. I'm never going to look at baguettes the same again. Furthermore, the Greeks used dildos in other contexts. In Aristophanes' famous play, Lysistrata, Tractor, for example, Greek women go on a sex strike that leads to a discussion of the use of dildos to satisfy themselves while protesting. Well, if you didn't have dildos and you weren't allowed to use them, I'd imagine you wouldn't want to have a bit of a protest. Go the ancient Greek chicky babes. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, the jaw-dropping wealth of the Western Han Dynasty, 206 BC to 220 AD, in case you were wondering, led to incredibly elaborate tombs that held a variety of exquisite items, including a number of ancient sex toys. Essentially, the Hans believed that their spirits would be living on the inside of these tombs in the afterlife, and Han royalty expected to maintain the same standard of living after death, which means they took some of their most important possessions with them, including intricate bronze dildos. 
These toys were common sexual aids among the Han elites and were products of high quality. However, although these dildos were toys, they had the additional function of being tools. Clever. When I say tool, I also mean that these phalluses had a larger purpose than sheer physical pleasure. Jay Zhu of San Francisco's Asian Art Museum told the Hyperallergic. The Han believed that the balance of yin and yang, the female and male spiritual principles, could be achieved during sex. In this regard, sex, especially if it was pleasurable and lasted for a sufficient amount of time, make note some of your lads, yet two pumps and finished, had a spiritual dimension. Thus, for the people of the Han Dynasty, the inclusion of these lavish sex toys in their tombs was a, not a naughty afterthought. Instead, it was a vital step meant to ensure that the deceased would have a peaceful and loving afterlife. However, moving forward to the 16th and 18th century Europe, dildos became more scandalous. Of course they would. The mix got involved. For example, Italian writer Pietro Aretino recorded how nuns Oh, God, this is getting juicy going into this bit. It's a bit risque. I was just joking about the mix. For example, Italian writer Pietro Aretino recorded how nuns began to use dildos in the 1500s to quell the gnawing of the flesh. A century later, dildos became to be more readily available to the wealthy, but their increasing ubiquity did not mean that they were condoned in polite society. When the daring John Wilmot, Earl of Rochester, imported dildos into England for a sex club in 1670. I wonder what a sex club would have been like in 1670. I they would have got up some really wild shit. For example, they were destroyed immediately. Well, well, no dildos in 1670 sex clubs. Nevertheless, plenty of people apparently ignored the Wilmot episode and continued to attempt to get their hands on dildos. English women became making their own dildos, in fact, only to be penalised for it once it was made illegal. At about the same time, so we're talking about 1670 people, and a bit later on after that, in the Edo period of Japan, people had a far different and decidedly relaxed attitude about sex toys. The Japanese depicted these sexual aids in their erotic books and images known as shunga. In shunga, women were depicted purchasing and enjoying dildos. In general, in this type of literature, women were shown as being incredibly sexual, even to the point of being the aggressor. I wish that would happen. Even after the Japanese government banned Shunga in 1722, it flourished in underground markets. In modern times, the dildo has been made out of a number of materials, but the most successful material by far is the silicone dildo created by Gosnell Duncan in 1965. It's when sex, drugs and rock and roll was really pumping. Duncan sustained an injury that left him paralysed below the waist. His accident inspired him to become active in the disability movement and advocate for improved and safer options for penile substitutes. During the 1960s and 70s, dildos were largely made out of rubber, which was a poor material for the job, as it could not stand a strong washing or heating without losing structural integrity. Moreover, dildos were only sold as medical aids intended only for straight couples that's a bit unfair, you know. What about the guys at Bath for the sake of team? I mean, they should be allowed a dildo as well that was struggling with sexual intercourse. All right, so basically, if the man couldn't get a dup and you're a straight couple, in the 60s and 70s, you got a dildo. But in the early 1970s, Duncan created the silicon dildo. He did so as a medical aid for people with disabilities. However, as 
we all know it took off as a product for anyone looking to improve or simply augment their sex life. Since Duncan and long before, phallic sex toys throughout history have remained fairly consistent in look, shape and length and remained a hidden staple in many of the world's cultures for millennia. Today's sex toys are more out in the open and part of an industry that pulled in, wait for it, about $15 billion in 2015, according to Forbes. It's safe to say that the dildos come an incredible long way since the stone and antler horns. Well, yeah, that's a little bit of a history of the dildos. I'm yeah, yeah, good thing. Enjoy it. Ladies and gents, and whoever else wants to give it a punt. Well, thank you once again. I'm the Love Ambassador, and you have yourself a lovely evening. Don't forget to subscribe. Woo!